Hello, and welcome to Northwest Perspective. This is a podcast that seeks to explore how the Bible challenges us in several areas. Identity, community, and our life's mission. Thank you so much for joining. We hope you enjoy. Is Prophecy 101. Prophecy 101. Uh, we can uh, recognize perhaps in our scripture reading one of the familiar passages when you are learning about how to study the Bible and when you are learning about how to interpret Bible prophecy. So I want to tell you, I'm going to share with you today one principle about how we can interpret Bible prophecy. And then by the grace of God, I want to show you that principle applied. And I want to encourage you that when it comes to studying Bible prophecy, um, it's not all over your head. There is heart. There are heart implications for each and every one of us. Does that sound like a plan? Amen. You don't sound like you agree that that sounds like a plan. But uh, I'll take it that it's the weather. All right. Second Peter chapter one. Listen to what Peter says. And second Peter chapter one. Verse 16. He says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. After the apostle Peter tells us about the validity of prophecy and he tells us that prophecy is valid even above his own personal eyewitness account did you get that or did you miss it Peter says I was an eyewitness I saw with my own eyes I heard with my own ears I was there I seen it go down but if you don't believe me, there is something that is even more valid, more trustworthy than my personal eyewitness account. Peter says that Bible prophecy is that we have also a more sure word of prophecy. After Peter tells us about this, he says in verse 20, first of all, and this is the revised standard version. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's a matter of one's what? No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own 
interpretation. Wow. Well, then how is it, Peter, that so many people have so many different takes on what prophecies in the Bible mean? If the first thing we are to understand is that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, how do people come up with so many different interpretations? I want to suggest to you this is the one principle that I'm going to share with you. So you don't have to remember much today. If you had a long week, you're tired, you're beat down, you're hot, you're sweaty, whatever it is, I only got one principle. Are you ready for this one principle? The principle is this. Jesus is the lead actor. What is the principle? Come on, say it with me again. Jesus is the lead actor. Prophecy 101, principle number one, Jesus is the lead actor. You'll understand what I'm talking about in a moment. How is it that people have so many different takes on what prophecies in the Bible mean? I want us to take a look today and see what Jesus has to say on this topic since it seems that this was a problem in Jesus's day as well. Open your Bibles to Matthew. What book did I say? Matthew chapter 22. And my Bible is coming apart. It is coming apart. Lord have mercy. I had this Bible since I was like 19 years old. And uh, it has literally been all over the world. <laughs> Matthew chapter 22. Are you there? Now, Jesus is being, uh, he's being questioned by a group of Sadducees. A group of what? A group of Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection and the high priest and his family were a part of this religious sect. And so they are trying to confuse Jesus by asking him about the resurrection. Now, the resurrection takes place when, beloved? The resurrection takes place when? All right. It takes place at the second coming. So they were discussing a prophetic topic. If you're with me, say amen. They were discussing a prophetic topic and they're disputing with Jesus and trying to entangle him in terms of his teaching on the resurrection. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. And again, the revised standard version here. But Jesus answered them. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In the King James Version, ye do err. You're in error, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. But Jesus calls them and says, you are straight up wrong in terms of your teaching on prophecy and in terms of your teaching specifically on the resurrection because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Question, was Jesus saying that these people did not know what was in the Hebrew Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Was he suggesting that? No. In fact, Sadducees, along with the Pharisees, in fact, most Jewish young men would have to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the age of 12. How's your Bible memorization? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy by age 12. They knew what was in the Bible. They knew who the major players or characters in the Bible were. 
But Jesus wasn't saying that you're ignorant about the books of the Bible. You're ignorant about the characters of the Bible. Jesus was suggesting something else. To find that out, turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. This is a familiar passage of Scripture as well. John chapter 5. And I'm going to read from the Revised Standard Version again. John chapter 5, verses 30. 9 and 40. And the Bible says in John chapter 5, beginning with verse 39, I still hear some pages turning. Are you there, beloved? All right. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That's John chapter 5. Verses 39 and 40, Jesus said, you are searching the scriptures and he doesn't, he doesn't beat them over the head for that. It's a good thing. You search the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life and it is they or these very scriptures that you are searching that bear witness to me that do what? Bear witness to me. Yet in spite of the witness that the scriptures are bearing about me, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Beloved, Jesus here teaches that the Bible scholars of his day were missing a key interpretive principle. When they were searching or studying the scriptures, they were missing out on a key interpretive principle, and the key interpretive principle was none other than Jesus, the Messiah himself. Now, this will become clear in just a, a second here. What we're saying is that they didn't see that the scriptures they were reading were, in fact, the testimony of Jesus. They were the what? In other words, the Bible testifies about Jesus. Are you with me, beloved? Yes or no? If you miss this then whatever conclusions you reach when studying Bible prophecy, they will be wrong. Just like the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22. If you do not study the scriptures and have Jesus, the Messiah, as your key interpretive principle, then whatever conclusions you or I reach when we are wrestling with Bible prophecy, those conclusions will be dead wrong. Peter warned that no prophecy of scripture is of any private in that passage, any private interpretation. The Greek word is idios. Ooh, that's very close to idiot. It's almost as though the Bible is saying an idiot would privately interpret scripture, but that's not what it's saying. The word private means idios. And what it suggests is, listen to me, my friends. Are you listening? I'm not going to keep you long today, but you got to get this, all right? Idios means personal. It means what? It means to put one's self in. Are you listening to me? So when he says no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, in other words, you don't personally interpret 
prophetic scripture. You don't put yourself as the center of prophetic scripture as a means of being able to understand it. Are you with me? Yes or no? This, beloved, is the reason why the Jews rejected Jesus. Why? Because they put themselves at the center of prophetic scripture. They made it all about themselves instead of being all about the Messiah or all about Jesus. And as a result, when their savior came, they rejected him. We cannot, beloved, that's where it gets good. We cannot make ourselves the center or goal of Bible prophecy because that role belongs to Jesus. Now, now, now I want to tell you today, you have a role in Bible prophecy. You're in there. You and I have a part to play. Is that good news, Sadar? You're in there. You got a part to play. Here's the part that's disturbing to some of us. Your role ain't the lead role. You see, some of us like being the lead. But what's our first principle? Jesus is the lead actor. You and I, no man, woman, boy or girl has the lead role in understanding, interpreting Bible prophecy. Jesus has the lead role. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, one of the reasons why Jesus said, seek ye, what? Seek ye first. In other words, you have a role. Yes, you come, but your role is not primary. It is secondary. Jesus's role, on the other hand, is primary. He is the first, which means when we're studying the Bible and when we're studying scripture, we must first look for who? We must look for Jesus. Oh, you got it, beloved. You're making me feel like I'm making sense. Now, I want to give you an example of Christ-centered prophetic Bible interpretation. It's going to disturb some of y'all, but I still love you, all right? I hope you still love me. But I'm going to tell you anyway. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. What book did I say? What, what chapter did I say? Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Let's see how this thing looks. Revelation chapter 12. Oh, help us, Holy Spirit, please, please. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Are you there? Let's read it together. And the dragon was and went to do what? Which do what? All right. Now we just read in Matthew and in John that the scriptures testify about Jesus, that the testimony of Jesus is in fact a revelation of who he is that we can only find in God's revealed prophetic word. Are you with me? Satan is the dragon. Are you with me? He is angry or enraged with the woman. Are you with me? And he goes in the end of time. That's where this prophetic scene is drawn out of. In the end of time, he goes to make war with who? The remnant of her seed. 
Now, this word remnant is mentioned several times in the book of Revelation. How many of you are familiar with that term? Remnant. Okay, remnant. Now, what do the remnant have according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 17? They have the testimony of Jesus and what else? They keep the commandments of God. And so these are, and I'm sure you've heard this, or maybe you've heard it before, these are identifying marks of the remnant, yes or no? They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And if you want to find out who the remnant is or God's remnant, the remnant uh, of his church, then you've got to have these two identifying characteristics. That's great. That's great. But if you really want to understand the remnant, you should be looking for who? You should be looking for Jesus. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that you really have not grasped. You really have not grasped the Bible's emphasis when speaking of the remnant. If you have neglected to see the remnant in connection with the one to whom all of Scripture points. Jesus. The remnant are not special because of what they do. The remnant are special because of who desires them. Let me say that again. The remnant are not special because of what they do, but the remnant are special because of who it is that desires them. Now, what is a remnant? Let, let, let's step, let's come into our time just a little bit. What is a remnant? What does that mean? Go ahead, Brother Lonnie. Small remaining part. A small remaining part. Everybody agree with that? Yes or no? Amen. All right. A remnant is a small remaining part. So if you go to a carpet store and you go to a section that has remnants, what's going to be there? Small remaining parts. Go ahead, Brother Guy. Okay, a small remaining part that belonged to original, which means that at one time there was what? There was more. But now this is all that's what? This is all that's left. That's if you go to a carpet store. If you go to a fabric store and you find remnants in the fabric store, you're going to find not these gigantic massive rolls. You're going to find what? Small leftover pieces. Now, if you enter into the remnant section, I want you to follow me now. If you go into the remnant section, you can expect that these things are going to be discounted. Yes or no? Yes. Why are they discounted? Woo, help us, Holy Ghost. Why does no, okay, my sister here, you said no one what? She said no one wants them. Let me ask another question. They're discounted because no one wants them. Why does no one want them? Oh, who, who said that? Who said that? Come on, say it again, my brother. There's, there's not enough left. So if I want to put carpet in my home and I go to the remnant section, it's there and it's at a discounted price. Listen to me, saints. Because so much of it has been used that when I go to get what I need for my house, 
there's probably not enough left. There's only a small portion that's left. And so it's discounted. Why? Because I can't carpet all of my house with it. If I'm going to make a dress or if I'm going to make a few outfits and I go to the fabric store, I'm going to the remnant section and it's discounted because there's not enough left for me to be able to make the whole skirt. Maybe I'm going to have a two-tone skirt. I can't make pants and a jacket. Maybe I'm just going to have a jacket. It's discounted. Listen to me, beloved, because so much of it has been used that there's only a small portion left. There's not enough left. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. Some of you came in here today. And you feel like you've been used up in your life. And there's not enough left so that the master of the universe would desire you. Some of you have given your best years to the wrong things. And when you look at what you have left, you say, Lord, what, 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 what's going on here? I'm not worth anything. I, I, I'm just a discounted version of what I would have been had I been serving you from my youth up. Somebody's marriage hasn't worked out. And you feel like I'm not what I ought to be had my marriage been what it should have been or worked out the way it was supposed to. Somebody's got pregnant out of wedlock and somebody says, Lord, I'm just discounted goods because I'm not what I should be. I praise God that a young black woman walked into a church in Cleveland, Ohio with two nappy head boys was not married. And I was one of those nappy head boys. And instead of seeing herself merely as discounted goods, she understood that she was a queen of the God of heaven. And therefore, she had value, not because of what she had done or what she could do or what she would do, but because of the one who desired her. Somebody says, Lord, I failed the test. I flunked out of the class. I didn't get into the school I wanted to get into. And so, so, Lord, what is left? The God of the universe says there's enough left for me to take you and make something beautiful out of you. There's enough left for me to shape and make a new pattern, a new piece of cloth that everybody's going to look at and say, Woo where did that come from? Uh, can I get another one like that? Jesus says, no, it's unique. It's unique. They don't make them like this anymore. Beloved, Jesus comes to the remnant section of this world and he sees his precious church. His church hasn't always been what it should be. They haven't always done what they should do, but when Jesus comes, and he sees them. He sees a church that says, Lord, there's not enough left. There's not enough left. Jesus simply says, give me what you have. And I'll make up the difference. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Ghost. Give me what you have. And I'll make up the difference. This is what's beautiful about the biblical concept of the remnant. 
It's not because of what the remnant does, but it is because of what God does with the remnant. He takes those who feel like they don't have enough. And yet, we come to him and say, Lord, all I have is yours. And he says, it's enough. It's enough. I'll make up the difference. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to make up the difference in my life. I'm not the perfect husband. I'm not the perfect father. I'm not the perfect son. Y'all know I ain't the perfect pastor. But Jesus said, just give me what you have. I know you feel like it's not enough, but bring it to me. Give me what you have. And let me make up the difference in your life. Thank you for joining us today on Northwest Perspective. Please like and share.